folks, and welcome in. It's episode 39 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, what's going on, man? Uh, you know, not much. Just a average Friday afternoon. I think uh, the draft lottery happened. I don't know. I haven't really heard much about it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was actually, by NHL standards, more exciting than, than I thought it would be. Uh, we're going to start the show off with that. First, I'm going to give you a couple of our plugs. You can follow me at Pete underscore Gast. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow at Doug Venn. And also check out our Spotify outro playlist. Uh, just look up the Canucks Speakeasy profile on Spotify and uh, check out the outro playlist where we're adding a new song every episode. We love music about as much as we love sports. So it's uh, for us, that's a fun little side project with this podcast is putting together a pretty funky playlist. Well, and the other thing, too, if you think about it, I mean, I know it's probably only pennies, but we're also actually kind of putting money in the artist we like's pockets. Yeah, it's like, there, there you go, guys. There you go, DJ Premier. Another another nickel from us guys up here in Canada. <laughs> well, let's start it off uh, with the draft lottery, because obviously that just happened. We're recording right after it. Uh, the big news has got to be the Buffalo Sabres picking at number eight, right? Yeah, I mean, again, the Buffalo Sabres, the, the hell the fan base in Buffalo must be going through right now. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I was hoping this would happen. We talked about it when we recorded last time. I was hoping that uh, an unnamed team would get first overall. And hey, lo and behold, that is exactly what's happened. Well, yeah, like I thought like an unnamed team moving up to the top three was going to be great publicity for the NHL and a great storyline for fans across the league to talk about. But the fact that the unknown team or the placeholder is... Getting the first overall pick, I mean, it's outrageous in a great, in a in the best way possible. I, I like how it's a placeholder. That's like uh, the most proper, unoffensive name for the team there. Yeah, I've heard some people say should Seattle name their franchise the placeholders now. <laughs> the Seattle placeholders, I, I like that. It's uh, it's interesting. There's definitely some winners and some losers. I mean. Ottawa and Detroit fell, and that was our two picks to get first overall. And as it stands, neither one of them is. They occupy three, four, and five. Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of pushing for Detroit or hoping Detroit would get the first overall pick. But, I mean, Ottawa had two chances, you know, in the top five to get the first overall pick. And both those picks ended up falling, which is crazy. I mean, to be fair, Ottawa's still going to get two really good players in this draft. This is a very deep draft. You've seen guys kind of jump. I mean, everyone, it seems to be a foregone conclusion that Lafreniere will be the first overall pick. But I've seen Stutzel jump up to two. Obviously, Byfield's been at two for most of the year. Jamie Drysdale, the right-handed defenseman, is a guy who probably will definitely be in the top five uh, picks as well. I mean, see him uh, paired with, uh, who's the defenseman in Ottawa? Shabbat. Shabbat. I mean, that would be a great pairing for years to come for Ottawa. Yeah, it's a, it's a very deep draft this year. We all know that because we had a meltdown about it last year when the Canucks made the trade for JT Miller. Um, definite winners of the draft as well. It's got to be the LA Kings, though. They, they're looking good there. They've moved up, and uh, old Blake and Robitaille there were looking pretty happy about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, let's say the Kings select Quinton Byfield second overall, and you look at their center depth, for, you know, down the middle for the next several years obviously they just 
traded for Tyler Madden from the Canucks. Um, Quinton Byfield, in theory, would be added to their prospect pool. Uh, they still have guys like Gabe Velarde. And there's another guy I'm missing. I forget who it is, but another like top-tier center prospect in the league uh, who they have. Oh, yeah, I, I know who you mean, too. It's uh, Rasmus... Uh, fuck, what's his name? Kapari, uh, isn't it? That's it. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah we saw him at the juniors uh, yeah, we did. as well. He was, he was really impressive. Um, but yeah, it, it's true. And maybe with that, all maybe they do something differently, take Drysdale at number two. But I think when you get all these comparisons with Byfield and what sort of player he is and you know, having all these guys line up on Kopitar, that could be a pretty solidifying position for the Kings for the next couple of decades, really. And I've seen a couple of kind of draft pundits say that Byfield's game is a lot like Kopitar's game. So that's kind of yeah. uh, an impressive an impressive comparison and obviously a great transition from Kopitar eventually retiring or moving on from the LA Kings to have a guy like uh, Byfield that can uh, take right over uh, that spot. And then you got the Ducks, the Devils, and the Sabres. They were rounding out, uh, which started everything off pretty normally when we were watching. It's like, okay, the, things are kind of going along as they should. Um Buffalo, first name, again, called out. You just kind of expect that for the Sabres these days. And then uh, the Devils, it was cool to see Marty Berdur there as well. I, I like that. And Anaheim, well, as usual, you kind of forget anything that happens with the Ducks unless they're winning a cup. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Ducks are rebuilding and um, the Devils seem to have pieces in place for their rebuild, but they're still not quite there yet. It's going to be interesting. Buffalo, we talked about them last episode. You know, they're a tire fire right now. Uh, but like you said, this is a deep draft. So I still think you're still... I mean, Look at the Canucks, right? We've whined, bitched, and moaned about not getting the first overall pick the last several draft lotteries. And yet we got guys like Quinn Hughes and uh, Elias Pettersson which we probably wouldn't have gotten if they were uh, if we did end up with the first overall pick. Yeah, even Brock Besser in a later part of the first round was a steal as well. And meanwhile, Ottawa, they have picks three and five. They're going to come away with this if they want to with a really good forward and a really good defenseman to add to what is also a decent prospect pool. Yeah, Ottawa, they don't really have that like superstar or game-changing prospect in their pool, but they have a very deep pool. Uh, and they've they've found a couple of seemingly gems in late rounds in the last few years, so it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys actually make an impact on the NHL roster. But uh, yeah, I think Ottawa, regardless of them not getting the first overall pick, I still think you got to be somewhat happy that you've got two picks in the top five. I haven't gone on to Sen's Twitter or Reddit, but I bet they're they're losing their minds right now because you know every Senator fan was hoping for picks one and two and then to get three and five. I'm sure they're disappointed, but it's still, it's, it's going to be good. It's only happened four times in NHL history, having a team pick twice in the top five. And of course, one of those times was Vancouver. Uh, with the Sedins. Yeah, that's right. And there's, there's also the conspiracy still alive uh, with uh, Taylor Hall because he's technically still part of the... Um, Phoenix Coyotes uh, and obviously Taylor Hall's had an unbelievable good luck charm with teams he's played for getting the first overall pick so that whole thing is still alive as well 
it's not a conspiracy. It's a fact. He's, uh, how many times has it happened in his career? Like five times or something? Well, yeah, there was what, including the, if you include the year he was picked, there was three with Edmonton. And I believe there's been two with the Devils. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that, geez, I didn't even think about that. Uh, one last fun fact with uh, the top five there is that Detroit, last time they picked fourth overall, they uh, picked their general manager. Oh, wow. Way back when. I remember that draft because that's, again, one of my favorite hockey cards years. It was the next year. But that was the year Brian Lawton went first overall. And it was a loaded draft. And guys like Iserman and Cam Neely all went after him. Was it 87 uh, Pat- or 86? Yeah, uh, 86. Okay. Uh, well, I think that it was either the, the card set might have been uh, 85, 86. So it might have been the 85 draft. But uh, regardless, it was Pat Lafontaine came out of that. I think Pierre Turgeon. Like it was a, it was a really good draft here. Uh, Doug Gilmore was that year as well. Um, and yeah, Brian Lawton went first overall. Um, what does all, all this mean for Vancouver then? Well, yeah, I mean, now everyone is seems like they're jumping all, all aboard Team Tank once again. Uh, the thing that I saw that was kind of interesting that I've seen a couple of people say is the Canucks, in theory, because it sounds like, so I guess we should kind of explain, at least from what I've gathered, how this will break down for the play-in teams that lose their series. We'll try to explain, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but take it away, Doug. So it seems like, or it sounds like all the teams that lose the play-in series will each have the same odd or same percentage to get the first overall pick, which I believe is 12.5% chance. See, I've heard that that only happens if the season stops for whatever reason. Then uh, the t- those teams, it goes, uh, it's a it's an equal percentage for the, for the bottom eight teams. I think it's still a percentage-based draft for the second one, but I'm not 100% sure by winning percentage from the regular season. Yeah, again, I don't think anyone expected what unfolded today to unfold. So I don't know if anyone knows exactly. I've seen a couple of things. I did see one report that said that the Canucks have like a 7.5% chance to get the first overall pick if they lose the play-in series. But then I saw something else that said all the teams will have an equal equal percentage chance for the first overall pick. Um, which brings me to another point that someone else on Twitter said that if that is indeed the case, then the Canucks actually have a higher chance of getting the first overall pick than they have had the last four years with 12 and a half percent. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny if, uh, if that was to happen? Jeez. I mean, even if I, I'm not, I'm never a fan of team tank. I, I want the Canucks to win. Um, but even if you don't, win in the first round or the play-in round, I guess it is against Minnesota, the odds are still very much against you to, to get the first overall pick. But granted, you you at least have a shot at it. Yeah, it's... I, I agree. Like, I, I, I don't think the odds are that great for the Canucks if they were to lose to Minnesota at 12.5% to get the first overall pick. So I'll say it right now. I want. I'd rather the Canucks beat the, the Wild in their play-in series and just get that playoff experience. And I mean, I guess depending if how healthy Marky is and how hot he can be, they might be able to make a little bit of a push in the playoffs. And I think that is more valuable to the players than adding another top-tier prospect. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Lafreniere looks like a top-tier prospect, but he's not McDavid and he's not Crosby, and I don't think he's McKinnon either. Well, he's he's maybe not, but he's 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 definitely up there. His track record is is pretty good. He's been number one for forever. It seems like 
Um, but again, even if you lose, you're not guaranteed to get the guy. I, I want the team to win as well. Um, I, I don't want us to necessarily go all in for this first overall pick. But if we do lose the play-in series, we automatically lose our first rounder next year. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. Because it is no, then... No. Uh, well, I, if you mean if we lose the play-in series, we lose our, automa- our, yes. our first next year. Yes, sorry. Yes, I had to double-check what you draft, were saying. Draft lottery protected. That's right. That pick. So, so there is that. And that's the other thing, is if the Canucks were to lose against Minnesota... Then you have that first pick dangling again all season over the team. It's kind of it would be nice you win. It's just whatever. Let's move on from the the trade. Then we can see how it gets going, and we know we have a first rounder next year, as opposed to them losing and then they, all the fans are disgruntled and calling for Benning's head because we couldn't get even into the playoffs, and now we don't have a first rounder next year. It would be a lot better for the team, obviously, to win. And I'm certainly not on team tank yeah i agree like don't get me wrong it would be incredible if let's say the canucks did end up losing to the wild and by the grace of god they get the first overall pick i mean it would be amazing but then in typical canucks fashion that pick would be picked apart and discussed for years there would be people who would want quentin byfield to be the pick there'd be people that would want alexei lafreniere to be the pick this Stutzel kid, and I don't know a lot about him, but a German-born kid. The Germans seem to be coming on hot with uh, the hockey prospects the last few years. Uh, the comparison I've heard from him is Patrick Kane. He is an elite, yeah. elite stick handler and an elite offensive talent. Yeah, I, I remember watching Stutzel a bit at the juniors, and he was one of the best players, if not the best player in the tournament. He does look really good. And following in Leon Dreisaitl's footsteps there as well. But he's a guy who has moved up, like you said, on some boards to number two. I would probably still go with Byfield at number two myself. Um, but depending on a team's needs, Stutzel or Drysdale at three, which would be the Sens, uh, was still pretty pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got to be a little bit pissed if you're a Sens fan, but when you really look at it, you're still going to get two amazing prospects to add to your already pretty deep prospect pool. Speaking of Canucks fans dissecting picks, did you see that thing circulating about how Canucks fans uh, were the the second worst on Reddit? Did you see that? Yeah, I think uh, only Calgary, the Flames fans were worse. (laughs) Most profane words per 100 users, and the Canucks Canucks were second. I'm not too surprised by that. You don't have much love for Canucks Reddit. Well, I used to, but yeah, they're a little bit, I don't know, they're, they're, they're their own little thing. I, I, I saw a lot of people that were just happy that we beat Philly and thought that was an accomplishment all on its own. Beat Philly? Yeah, because Philly was third. And so I thought I think a lot of people are just beyond happy that we oh, beat Philly. Oh, right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty impressive to do. The Ducks, again, were dead last on that list. I can't remember the, the full list. But uh, yeah, I got, a, I got a kick out of that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too surprised. Canucks... <laughs> So it's uh, it can be pretty toxic out there in the Canucks universe. We've got this uh, just completely polarized fan base right now, all because of our general manager. It's really quite amazing. And it's created this almost there's no middle ground. Right. It's like this. Uh, it's almost like Trumpian in a lot of senses. Right. You're, it's like people are picking pro or against Benning and it's not left a lot of middle ground. We try and be in the middle ground, but there's not a lot of people in the middle ground. No, and like, you know what, like if someone wants to be overly negative or overly positive, 
who cares? Let them. Like, I don't know why we've got to go out of our way. And look, you know, we're all entitled to opinion. We're all entitled to freedom of speech, you know, for the most part. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, you know, it's like sometimes it feels like it's a pissing contest out there at times. And it's like people are going out of their way to try to like make another person look bad or make a certain section of the fan base look stupid. It's just like, fuck, who cares, man? You think Benning's doing a good job? Awesome. Great. You think Benning's doing a terrible job? Sure. I agree. At times, he has done a terrible job, especially with the pro scouting. But you know what? Overall, I would say I'm more excited about this Canucks team moving forward than I have been in probably 15 years. Oh, yeah, 100%. There's uh, so much exciting talent on the team right now, and bringing in some of the guys like Miller and Toffoli as well really makes this uh, an interesting team to watch the next couple of years. And as we know, get a little bit of help on the back end for Quinn Hughes and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's still guys in the prospect pool that we'll see where they go. Um, Jet Wu obviously being one of them. Um, and then, um, uh, oh, fuck, I can't forget. I forget the kid. The kid that played for Harvard. Jack Rathbone. Rathbone, thank you. Uh, Rathbone's well, another guy that I think, you know, a lot of Canucks fans seem like there's some real potential there. Well, two other guys who will be with the Canucks when camps reopen are also worth mentioning. That's Olio Levy and Brogan Rafferty. And from all accounts, Olio Levy has had a, a really good stint and rehabbing and getting stronger. And be interesting to see if we get to see either of those guys down the stretch here. Yeah, I think the key with Olio Levy is just staying healthy. He hasn't been healthy for almost three years now, and it's really affected his development. And sure, you can make the argument that the Canucks should never selected him uh, sixth overall, I believe, is where they took him, or fifth? Anyways, fifth. Fifth. They should have never taken him fifth overall, and, you know, there was better players out there. Uh, obviously, Brady, or not Brady Kachuk, um, the other Kachuk in Calgary, the other guy I really Matt liked. Kachuk. Matt Kachuk. And then the other guy I always really liked uh, from that draft was actually Charlie McAvoy. Uh, he was another guy that I kind of was hoping the Canucks would have considered Sergachev as well. But you know what? Like I, I, I still think Yolevi does have potential, and I think if he can stay healthy and he can get his confidence back, and I, that's the key. I think that's the thing that people sometimes forget with athletes is that confidence is everything. And when these guys, you know, lose their confidence, it can really affect them for years. There was a really good article by Ben Kuzma where he actually talked to, I believe he interviewed uh, Brock Besser and he talks about how Besser really has lost his confidence these last couple of years and he's been working hard during the pandemic to try to stay in shape and to build up his confidence and stuff like that and he Besser felt like he wasn't the same player he was for his rookie year. Part of that was because of injury and part of that was, a lot of it was because of his confidence. Well, injuries derail confidence, and both those guys that you mentioned, Yulevi and Besser, they've certainly had their, their fair share of it. I mean, especially when you're still very young and you've yet to get a full pro career under your belt, that's got to make it pretty hard. I mean, these are some very important developmental years, and especially if you're in a Canadian market under a magnifying glass there, it's it, it puts a lot of extra pressure on. It, I'm glad that Yulevi's coming up with the team. Um, I'm glad that Rafferty is uh, with the season he had. That's uh, that's a no-brainer, in my opinion, uh, as well. Um, whether they get any ice time or not, we'll see, but it'll be good for them just to be around the team, and that's that'll be good confidence for him as well, even if he's just up with the club, doing skates, doing practice, out there for some warm-ups, whatever. That's going to help Ole Levy, and especially, hey, we're not playing hockey. You can't get hurt. 
could be a huge blessing in disguise. If he's just been training, rehabbing, gives him all this extra time, it could be a blessing for you, Levy. I'm also not ruling him out. Right now, there's no one can argue that he should have gone fifth overall when you look at redrafts. I think he's only one of two players from the first round that hasn't played an NHL game yet. Um, so it's something that, for me right now, not going to give up on the guy. I have said, though, that this was the year he has to turn a corner. He, I, I don't know if he really has, He's if we've turned the corner that he wants. But I'm going to say it again for next year. Like This is the year. And if it, it doesn't next year, if there's not some significant progress, I think uh, the Canucks are going to have to look at other options. And with that as well, the Canucks do need to draft some more defensemen. Yeah, they didn't pick one defenseman in last year's draft for some unbeknown reason. What do you think of the Canucks leaving Cole Lind off their uh, play-in roster list? Yeah, I'm a little surprised, but I think it may just be because of uh, positional needs um, and and what they have. Uh, It's too bad. Um, Not the end of the world, though. Lind is close. Lind is, I think, he's got a good shot at next year. But I think with some of the other guys like McEwen and Berchie, it just kind of crowded it up a bit for him um but it's good to see that we have good forward prospects who are missing the cut you know what i mean like again that's depth there's a lot of depth with the team right now up front at least and it's it's too bad with lind but uh the forwards are the forwards are it's going to be it's always a different animal in the playoffs when uh with the forward cores and rolling nine deep and uh uh, at least within the scoring, and then they have your, your checking unit. It could be a big ask for Cole Lind coming fresh out of the box and, and going into that situation. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, you know, obviously at first I was like, oh, you know, it's a little disappointing they didn't uh, add Lind to the list. However, they went with more of a veteran kind of laden group of guys, especially at the forward position. And I think they brought guys on, in who they think, if they need to rely on them to play some games, they can play some games and they probably won't hurt them. Cole Lind has never played an NHL game. I don't know. I think you might be a little bit more optimistic than I am about his chances of being able to make the Canucks next season. If there is a season, who knows how that'll even go. Um, but I, I agree. I do think he is a good prospect and I do think that he might be a year, maybe half a year away from getting a few NHL games under his belt. I think Zach McEwen is going to make it very hard for Cole Lynn to make the team. And I'm I'm personally, I, I think, another full season in Utica, if again, if the AHL happens, uh, would be really good for him. I mean, there's been talk as well with some of these North American leagues not restarting next year that more and more guys could head over and play in Europe. The writing was already on the wall with uh, Goldobin. Um, but, you know, that's why you're, I think you're seeing guys kind of jump ship a little bit early and heading over to the KHL. Um, It's going to be interesting. The other guy that, again, who's slated to be over here for training camp is Hoglander. Well, does Hoglander even bother coming over if, you know, the NHL season doesn't start? You and I have already kind of discussed this, but if the NHL season is delayed until December and the Swedish Elite League has already started up, does he just stay over there for another year and play uh, another season there, and then maybe come over the following year. It's going to create some really interesting situations because, again, if you have no AHL and no CHL in North America, what's going to happen? Are some of these guys, and again, this would probably affect the AHL players more, 
But are they going to go over and, and play in European leagues? Like the Swiss League has always had a love in for Canadians. There's a lot of Canadians over in the Swiss League. And that's just, it is something to consider with the European leagues with and when they restart. You know, the KHL won't give two craps about what the NHL is doing. You know, Swedish League and the Finnish League and all them, they may pay a bit of attention. But if they're good to go, they're going to go. Uh, and... There's going to be a lot of players who have to make a decision on, on where they're playing, and, and Hoglander is, is certainly one of them. And in my opinion, if, if it comes down to Hoglander has to choose, and it's September, and there's no word on the AHL yet, and uh, the SHL is, or is, and all the Swedish leagues are starting up there, I would say stay in Sweden. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I'm also surprised you're just bringing up the Swiss League. I'm surprised more players haven't gone the Austin Matthews route and just went over and played a year of professional hockey in Switzerland and get paid as well. I mean, that was one of the reasons why Matthews went over there, right? Was so he could also get paid. Um, yeah, it's just surprising more players haven't taken that route. Yeah, it is a weird one. Austin Matthews was a weird one doing that, but it, you've got to be a special player to do that and play in a men's league as an 18-year-old. So it's it's a unique situation with guys like Matthews, but... Uh, again, I think there may be something with the CHL as well. You know, if you have a guy who's played with a team for a couple of years and he's going into his draft year and the team is good, he, he's not going to want to leave there. It's different in the States, though. It's different. Uh, I, I believe at the time there is – I can't remember why he didn't want to play with the uh, the USHL team, but there was something there. But in, in Canada and the CHL in general, I think it's different if you have these guys who – especially a lot of these guys, like I said, who – are getting drafted their teams are good and they've been building towards that for a couple of years so i think it'd be really hard for a lot of them to leave and i think it'd be really hard for a lot of them to play like i mean you look at this draft class here out of the canadian guys there's maybe two guys maybe three who could actually i think go and play in switzerland right now um like lafreniere i think byfield you can make the argument for after that though who knows i mean i don't know about the european guys or are stutzel and, and raymond are they big enough to play against men i mean i don't know it's uh it's really a couple of guys a draft i think who would be able to play over there yeah i mean but the thing with matthews is he played during his draft year like the year he was going to be drafted he went over there so that would that would have mean in september when a lot of these leagues were playing guys like lafreniere or byfield would have made the decision to go over to switzerland and play over there so, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It, it's a weird little thing that Matthews did. I, I kind of forget why or what happened or what transpired for him to make that decision. Uh, fun fact, though, uh, Mark Crawford was the coach of the Swiss team he played for. The Crow, what a guy, what a guy. He, he was there at a, um, the the Sedins game, wasn't it? Uh, we saw Mark Crawford there. Yeah, because he's the assistant with the Blackhawks. Exactly. He was playing. He was the assistant for the Chicago Blackhawks. That was a, That was a nice ovation for him, and I like how – he came out and was there for that. I thought that that was all pretty cool. Um, moving on to the hub city thing, Vancouver's out after it sounds like from all reports is the league was set to announce Vancouver and Vegas as uh, the two teams. And Dr. Bonnie put her foot down and just said, you've got to abide by this. Personally, I'm totally fine with this. I wasn't really a big fan of it coming here. It just seemed like there could have been more hassle and there's more risk. And, Bon, Dr. Bonnie's killing it, so I, I'm okay with this. Do you have any opinion on it either way, Doug? Uh, Yeah, again, you know, I like the idea of Vancouver being a hub city, but obviously I wanted to make sure that health 
protocol and guidelines were going to be followed. And I think the NHL is trying to have the path of least resistance for the playback uh, initiative that they're putting together here. And I think, yeah, when it came down to the witching hour and the final details of the negotiations were being looked over, there were certain things that came up that uh, the BC government and Dr. Bonnie Henry kind of called out to the NHL, and they didn't really seem to be too keen on some of the thoughts. I know one of the big issues I heard anyways was, you know, if there was a COVID outbreak, I think uh, the BC government uh, said that, you know, they would have to stop playing games, and the NHL didn't like that. And so they've decided to move on to another hub city. I know Edmonton is putting together some incredible videos of Banff, Alberta, not Edmonton. But hey, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. Uh, And it sounds more and more like Toronto will probably, I think, end up being the second hub city. And it kind of makes more sense for there to be an eastern and a western city as the two hub cities for obviously the eastern conference and the western conference uh yeah eastern I, and western and yeah eastern and western and canadian and u.s as well yeah that's true as well uh yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm happy with the decision again i like the idea of vancouver being the hub city but I, you know they had to play by our rules and that's another thing that i think a lot of players there was actually a really great uh instagram post i believe uh panarin put up uh Breadman. And he just talk, calling out the owners and saying, you know, hey, man, we need to be in this together. And he's super excited and he wants to get back to playing hockey. But, you know, he's tired of the players kind of paying the owners bills here. And they need to be more working in conjunction with one another as opposed to against one another. And right now it seems like the NHL is more concerned at just getting games played as opposed to the health and safety of their players. It's it depends who you talk to. I I, I understand that argument as well. Um, the NHL is saying, uh, at least on the the Gary Bettman front, uh, is saying all the right things right now um, about health and safety first. Um, I get what Panarin is saying as well. Um, it's it's just a really interesting time, and I know Major League Baseball has a bit of this as well. But with the NHL, with the CBA looming, and they, and they're talking about a five year extension right now. They're talking about a flat cap for the next couple of years. Uh, they're talking about a, a lot of different things right now, which is which is really interesting to see uh, this sort of communication between the NHL and NHLPA. And I, I do believe because of that, that they're going to work something out that the players are, are okay with, with, with the return to play, and it is going to be safe. And I, I just, I can't see anything that would really make the league want to cut corners and just, just cram games. I, I get that's how it looks like, but... You can say that about every league, and every league has players who are like, I don't know if we should be doing this, and they're totally valid with those opinions. I hope you're right. Like, And I, I want to give the NHL and their board of directors the benefit of the doubt, but when Vancouver, which seemingly seems to be one of the better places on the planet as far as you know, our response and the cases of COVID-19 as a whole is thrown out of the discussion to be a hub city because some of our policies and health concerns were a little too stringent to the NHL's liking. It, it The optics of that don't look great, but I agree, like, you know what? Maybe there were some other things behind the scenes that haven't been reported publicly we don't know about. And it's also just BC saying, hey, these are our rules, and, and that's it. It's the, As you know, the rules change from city to city, province to province, state to state. There's a lot of different ones out there, and BC just stood by their stance. They said, hey, this is this is it. So 
it may not be so much that the NHL is trying to get them to do things that are that are questionable. It's just I do think that BC is being much more firm and it's working here and nobody in BC wants to see an outbreak. We all know how good we've had it compared to the rest of the world where we're in our little bubble. We got Alberta on one side, the Yukon up there, the U.S. on the other. Just just close the whole thing down and let us British Columbians roam free this summer. And and I think that's kind of what everyone here is thinking, including the people in charge. Like, look, we've come this far. We especially know what's happening down south of the border right now. We do not want that here. And I, I, I just think that at the end of the day, the economic benefit for the province was far outweighed by the public health risks. So kudos to the BC government, in my opinion, for, for sticking with their guns there. Yeah, uh, I agree. I totally agree with you on that. So I think, Doug, like there's a lot happening in sports right now. Um, there, Well, there is and there isn't, right? It's kind of a there, – there's there's – there's stuff happening after months of nothing happening. Um, I think it'd be good for us to kind of go around the sports world and just kind of check in on other leagues and other sports and just say what we know. And we may not have a lot to say on, on each one here, but I think it'd be kind of fun to just go right around the horn here and, and talk about all the other sports out there. What do you think? Cool. Cool. Well, let's start with major league baseball. So Major League Baseball is now coming back. It looks like July 23rd or 24th, uh, and the season is going to go through September 27th. The players that were holding out for their money, uh, they wanted the prorated pay, and that's what they're getting now. So it's about 37% of their salary. It's a 60-game regular season that they're playing. Um, and some of the things, from what I understand, is a large portion of the games, I think, all are going to be against teams in their division. And then there's going to be a smaller portion against, uh, or sorry, interleague games uh, against teams in the, the the National or the American League that is in their own bubble as well. Um, Doug, what do you know about the return of Major League Baseball? Honestly, I find the whole dispute between the players and the owners almost more confusing than the draft lottery today and the results. <laughs> I like literally last week it was like an hour by hour update on we're going back to play. The players have all voted against it. And even then, like, I'm still confused. So, like, they're not doing hub cities for their 60-game season. Teams are still going to be traveling to other and I, I know what you said that, you know, they're going to be playing the majority of their games in their in their uh, division and then there might be some like the Mets might play the Yankees a couple of times yeah, because they're both it, in that New York bubble exactly. but like they're still going to be traveling outside of their state or like the Toronto Blue Jays for instance they're going to be traveling into the U.S. to play the Yankees or the Red Sox like it, it's still a little bit confusing to me that whole aspect of it where even the MLS they're all going to be stationed in one hub city in well Potentially, who knows what's going to happen now, but in Florida, right? In Orlando, I believe. Obviously, that's where the, uh, the NBA is going. We just discussed about the NHL and where their hub cities are going to be. I'm I'm surprised they're not doing that in baseball. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jays end up playing somewhere in the States, like a college or something, and uh, doing doing something like that. It just seems that... There's so many logistics with going back and forth as the one team. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Blue Jays set up shop. Maybe, probably not share a stadium, but there's got to be 
someone out there who's got a big stadium all ready for them to go somewhere in the Northeast. And I'm sure they've already been looking into that as well. Like maybe the Jays can play in Buffalo or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it is strange that they do that. Um, a couple of other things that jumped out at me, uh, that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the national league's not, is not allowing the pitchers to hit. The national league's going to be using the designated hitter rule. So it's all designated hitters. Uh, and the other thing, and this is obviously a sensible one, but I'm curious to see how muscle reflex kicks in. There's a ban on spitting. Yeah, I saw that spitting and like, cause I know in baseball, they have a lot of like those, uh, choreographed, uh, high five, you know, handshakes or whatever like that. Apparently that's yeah. all going to be banned as well. But the spitting one, that's one that, I, like you said, the muscle memory, you just automatically, you're in the outfield, you're waiting for something. The other yeah. one, too, is like chewing gum, right? Guys, yeah. you know, I remember they would always, it's kind of like a weird little thing they do to rookies where like a guy will like blow a big bubble and then stick it on his on his hat and it'll sit there for like half an inning or a full inning with like big giant piece of bubble gum stuck to his hat and everyone's laughing at him. Like stuff like that we're obviously not going to see. Were you uh, were you a fan of Big League Chew growing up? Uh, I was actually up until you chewed it so much it like turned to liquid <laughs> and just almost became sawdust. It was it was crazy how that happened. It was so good for a bit, and then you're like, what what is happening? But uh, I, you also think about Big League Chew, like kind of how that looked like chewing tobacco in so many different ways. It was just like it was like the old Popeye cigarettes as yeah, well that yeah. you could buy, just just grooming you for the nicotine industry later on in life. <laughs> All right, so we've agreed that Major League Baseball, like the NHL, is confusing. Um, let's see if the NBA is any less confusing. What do you know about the NBA right now? They, uh, I know that they've just announced a schedule, um, and I know that they have some positive cases turning up. What do you know? Yeah, I, I, again, it sounds like everyone's going to be heading down to Florida to the Orlando ESPN Sports Center on Disneyland or Disney World, whatever it is. Um, so they're going to be down there. It sounds like most of the teams are going to start sending their players down there. And I guess they're going to be relegated to certain hotels or certain aspects of that whole compound they have down there. A lot of players are testing positive. It sounds like, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. If they're going to have to obviously quarantine outside of Orlando, cause they probably don't want to put someone who's tested positive into the bubble. Right. So you're going to want to probably get them quarantined outside the bubble and then, Hopefully, they'll be ready to join the team at a later date. Or the quarantine could just be they can't leave their hotel room for two weeks. You know, that's kind of what a, what a lot of people do. It's uh, um, they, they're, it's two weeks wherever you are, whether it's in the bubble or out. But regardless, 16 of the 302 players coming back, uh, which is about 5%, have tested positive in the NBA. Uh, July 30th, just in time for the August long weekend. Uh, on the Thursday night, there's two NBA games. And what I think is pretty cool about the way the NBA has done the schedule is that there's a large amount of time that you could spend in any given day watching basketball. So I'm looking at uh, the Friday, so the second full or the second day of the of the full comeback here. There's six games on. And you can essentially watch games from 11.30 in the morning until about nine at night uh just non-stop the way there are there's a couple of games going on at the same time but there's overlap between games as well 
which I think is pretty smart. I mean, the NBA realizes that there is a craving for sports right now, even if it is in the middle of summer. And to have it on 10 to 12 hours a day, which is what they're doing, is a, is a pretty smart move. Yeah, well, the NBA, unlike the NHL, they're doing not a nine-game or was it a nine- or ten-game regular season or a finish to their season. They're not just kind of jumping into a playoff series or a play-in series to a playoff series, if that even makes sense. I don't know. I'm confused myself. I, I, what I, I, think, I think uh, I picked up what you're putting down. We'll see if the listeners do. <laughs> um so I think the fact that they're doing that, they're trying to cram as many games in in a short amount of time so they can get to the playoffs and determine what teams are actually going to be in the playoffs and what teams aren't. Uh, it is Again, every sport is, every one of the leagues is confusing in their own little unique, special way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's never ending right now. I think the NBA right now as well, they're in a bit of a free agency process, are they not? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that the, right now uh, that the transaction window opened a few days ago, um, and there's right now they're they're into the, who they waive and and what they're doing. But I do believe there's a little bit of roster movement going on. Again, it's confusing. I'm not 100 percent sure, but we do know July 30th, so just over a month away now, the NBA will be back with a whole lot of sports. You can spend your August long weekend watching wall-to-wall NBA coverage, which is a first for all of us. Yeah, I mean, the NBA to me has always felt kind of like a summer sport, and I've always kind of been a little bit confused why they don't play during the summer, and as opposed to being more in line with the NHL schedule, probably because they don't want to go up against the NFL, is what I would imagine. Well, the NFL doesn't really start until the end of August, right? You still, you could you could play into July if you're the NBA, and the only people you're going against is baseball. Maybe it's yeah. just because they know they have a less captive audience then. I mean, during the winter, there's a more captive TV audience for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I make occasional good point, although the fans down under would, would sure love it. Uh, could you imagine that? They got live NBA. Our buddies down in Australia, they have an NBA on during the winter. Oh, yeah. It'd be NBA. They'd get the NBA all day. It'd be great. Oh, yeah, mate. Um, So we've agreed that the NBA is also confusing. Um, Let's move it to the other one of the big four. Um, I admittedly, Doug, I don't know a lot about what's happening with the NFL. I mean, of course, they've still got a couple months to to really figure it all out. Um, You're much more plugged in with the NFL than I usually am. And what are you hearing coming out of the NFL? Is there much going on? I mean, I think the big news you're hearing right now out of the NFL is Colin Kaepernick and whether or not he'll get a job back uh, in the NFL this year. I mean, he probably should have been in the NFL three years ago still, um, but is now the time when an NFL club decides to take the risk and sign him, whether or not he'll be a starting starting quarterback or a a backup quarterback. Uh, it does feel like it's the right time for him to get his career started up again in the NFL. We'll see where that ends up and where that goes. I know Pete Carroll made a comment that he feels like it was a mistake a few years ago that he didn't sign Kaepernick. I remember, do you remember there was like some talk uh, about two years ago that the Seahawks were looking to sign Kaepernick and Russell Wilson was in support of it as well. uh, And obviously that didn't end up happening. The Seahawks were the only team that interviewed and met with Kaepernick after he was let go by the Niners. They were the only team that did it. And I remember Pete Carroll at the time saying, 
Colin Kaepernick is too good to be our backup quarterback. Like we said, we'd like to, we just couldn't uh, work on a deal. He wanted, he knew that with Russell Wilson there, there's obviously not, he's not really going to get to see much time, but Pete Carroll had a lot of good things to say about him. It's, it'll be interesting if Kaepernick comes back. I really hope he does. I mean, he he could be playing in the NFL still. He was certainly good enough. He made a lot of mistakes out there on the field, but he was overall a good quarterback. He was exciting to watch. Um, and the fact that he it looks more and more every day like he was blackballed by the white owners of the NFL. And if one of the owners or GMs gives, well, I guess the owner needs to give the green light to the GM, say, yeah, you know what? I think you should try and sign this guy. I wonder what that would do with the other owners if they'd be like, because it's it's a black eye on the league if he comes back, Kaepernick comes back and is able to get an NFL job and do well at it. That's even even further proof that he was blackballed right out of the league by by the owners. Yeah, and the other thing too is like you hope, you know, there's a bit of a moral thing that ends up happening here, a moral dilemma where it's like. You hope a team doesn't sign him just for the sake of signing him, and then he just sits on the bench the whole year, and they don't ever give him an opportunity to play if an opportunity arrives. Uh, I, I agree with you. The NFL and the owners especially have put themselves in a bit of a corner here with the Kaepernick thing, and you make a great point that if Kaepernick does get signed this year to an NFL club and he gets an opportunity to play some meaningful downs for that team and shows he's still a great quarterback and he should have never been blackballed or black, you know, kicked out of the league, not kicked out, but, you know, he shouldn't have been out of the league for the last three years. It's going to be a black eye in the NFL. But the NFL, for whatever reason, man, they're the Teflon Don of the big four sports leagues. Nothing ever really sticks to them. Yeah, it's true. They do give their players more of a platform, though, which is... um... Or the players take more of a platform, uh, at least, than uh, probably any other sport except for maybe uh, the NBA. Um, I really hope Kaepernick comes back. Uh, That, for me, is really the only thing I've been hearing. I've heard some players speak out a bit about uh, how they're not sure about whether it's safe to come back to play. But we're hearing that in every league, um, and that's totally understandable. Um, But yeah, for me... I think they put themselves in a tough situation because a team signing Kaepernick, that's going to be a story this year, no matter what, even if he was to say, end up in Seattle and back up Russell Wilson, right? You know, you put him in as like a third down, a third and short guy, or you put him in when the game is, is out of hand one way or another. And it's, it would be great publicity for the team, but I I do hope that as well, that whoever, brings him back is actually bringing him back because he's good enough to play. And I hope Kaepernick is still good enough to play. He was good enough to play when he didn't get signed. And at first I didn't really buy into it that I was like, Oh, maybe it's a conspiracy, but the more things went on, I was like, no, there's, there's no way that Kaepernick shouldn't be in the NFL right now, man. I, I, again, you know, I, I don't like the Niners being a Seahawks fan, but uh, I, I can say that Colin Kaepernick at times was extremely exciting and fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that is kind of against Kaepernick at the moment, and I'm talking strictly from a level of play, is Cam Newton still a free agent? Cam Newton still doesn't have a team. And, I mean, if I was to go strictly of what they do on the field right now, and I'm building a NFL team, I would probably rather have Cam Newton on my team today than Colin Kaepernick. Now, three years ago, I mean, you could maybe make the argument, but even then, I mean, Cam Newton was coming off an MVP season three, four years ago. So that, and then obviously Jameis Winston's another guy, and 
Look, I don't think Winston's that great at all. And I would argue that Cam Newton, or pardon me, that uh, Colin Kaepernick is as good, if not better, of a quarterback than Jameis Winston is. But the fact that Cam Newton is still unsigned, that's a domino that I think would have to fall first before a team could probably make a signing for Kaepernick without it coming across as more of a PR stunt. Yeah, that's true. Unless uh, Newton's pricing himself out and you're able to get Kaepernick at a, at a good deal. But again, that's it's going to be interesting to see what, what he commands because he may come in and say, like, look, I don't want the cheap deal. I want guaranteed money. So anyways, it is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, I think I think he will end up somewhere just because of the storyline with that. Um, but I do hope that he comes back and I do hope he plays well. And um, uh, I think it would be... It would be really good for everyone to see that, and especially given the current climate of what's going on in the world and sports. Um, the EPL, Liverpool, beat Crystal Palace 4-0 after uh, Chelsea beat Man City. Pretty much, I mean, the writing was on the wall for the entire time that COVID was going on there. I mean, Liverpool was just running away with that. Um, Doug, I, I know you don't follow EPL as much, but if you look at the ladder... Liverpool has just dominated this year. Have you caught much of them? And what do you think of just when you look at that ladder and how they're 23 points up on second place with only one loss in 31 games? Uh, what what does like how would that be comparable in North American sports? I mean, I guess this might be comparable to that uh, that incredible season that the Golden State Warriors had or the Chicago Bulls had in the 90s. Uh, it's been what, 30 years, hasn't it been? Or over 30 30, years for Liverpool? 30 years, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a foregone conclusion, right? That Liverpool was going to wrap it up and be the champions of the EPL this year. Uh, there were, I mean, they would have had to have gone on quite the losing streak. How, again, I'm sorry, I don't have the ladder in front of me, but like they were 23 points up on second, you said? 23. They they have 86 points and Man City, who uh, who lost this week, has 63. And then Leicester City is in third at 55. So not only are they 23 up on second, they are 31 up on third. Wow, the Gallagher t- brothers of Oasis must be pissed right now. I know they're big. <laughs> I know they're big Man City fans. Yeah, and Man U's down there in fifth. But anyways, congrats to Liverpool. Um, I've I've always had a bit of a soft spot. My sister's a big Liverpool fan, uh, going back to the Michael Owens days uh, in the late '90s there. And uh, one of our buddies at work is uh, is a big Liverpool fan uh, as well. Um, but you know. Good on them. Congrats. That was, I mean, it was a foregone conclusion ever since uh, the end of last year. They've just been on a, on a tear. So that was a, a big thing in the world of sports. It's, 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 it's funny watching the championship because, or, or them celebrate because it, everyone knew it was happening. It was going to happen, but it finally happens. It's kind of just anticlimactic in a lot of ways, though, because like there's no fans around. Like you're, you're kind of in your bubble celebrating. It was a weird one to watch, but. Definitely a memorable one. Liverpool is uh, the first major champion in the COVID era. Yeah, it's not like he could go to the pub and, you know, tear the tear the roof off the place with all your buddies. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot more of a calm, isolated celebration. But, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this, and I'm sure you'd agree, Pete. You know, I'd probably be hooting, hollering, and screaming if the Canucks win the Stanley Cup oh, in yeah. my apartment. So. Oh yeah, there would have been loud in Merseyside, man. Um, I love Liverpool. It's a great city. Uh, it's a, it's a obviously a big musical history as well. Um, but I could just see the people there would have found ways to have fun. There would have been uh, there would have been some noise 
coming on that day. Uh, let's quickly go through a few more here. We got the MLS coming back, a uh, Vancouver team, the Whitecaps. They are in that. Now, MLS is kind of doing things a little different, and lo and behold, it's confusing. So they're they're also down in Orlando, and they have three scheduled game times for games, and they're starting up on July 8th, so this is coming up here uh, pretty soon. But the games are going to be at 9 a.m., 8 p.m., and 10.30 p.m. That's local time there, and they're doing that to avoid the heat of the day in Florida. So there's going to be 6 a.m. starts here, and then 5 p.m. and 7.30, which is normal, but it's... Those 6 a.m. starts, it's kind of it's going to feel like when you get up and turn it on and you're watching soccer, it's going to feel like a, a World Cup or a, a Euro Cup or something there. Yeah, and, and even for the players, I mean, I guess it's not too, too early, but the 10 p.m. local time in Florida? Will 9 a.m. 9 a.m. 9 a.m., okay. Yeah. And no, but in the late game, sorry, it was 10 Oh, sorry, the late one is 10.30 p.m. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a wacky schedule, right? I mean, yeah. uh, that, that 10.30 game will go till after midnight. Obviously, they won't put teams on the early game right after that or anything, but uh, they're doing it to avoid the heat of the day. This is something that they really had to consider once they decided Orlando was the place. It gets really hot, really muggy, and there's a lot of, there's pretty much daily thunderstorms at that time of year down there as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, and it'll be great to wake up, like you said, in the mornings and, you know, watch an MLS game as long as the Whitecaps aren't playing. I'd be excited. <laughs> oh, man, we still you're still no, not giving any love to the Caps. I mean, it's tough being a Caps fan the last couple of years. They uh, they really haven't given much to, to cheer about. Uh, Vancouver's in a—so it's like a tournament style that they're doing this, like a, a World Cup-style tournament. There's 26 teams in the uh, MLS, so one of the groups is of six, and I'm not quite exactly sure why they did it like that. But the top two from each group and then top three from the group of six all go on. I think it's something to do with games played, or uh, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but yeah, and, and then the it goes the whole tournament, and the winner of the tournament gets a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. So it's kind of neat. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how this all works. I know some games uh, points count towards, I think the round Robin points uh, it's count towards the standings of the regular season. It's a strange one as well, but that's coming up July 8th. Like I said, so uh, I, I will be watching that uh, July 9th, white caps in Dallas FC. I, I will be watching that because why the hell not, man? Yeah. I mean, I got to give it to all the sports leagues right now. They've all been very creative and they're, thought process and they're planning for these you know back to play scenarios for whatever league you're interested in whether it's the nhl the nba mls mlb uh kudos to the to the guys putting all the darts on the dart dartboard and throwing them at the wall and hoping one of them sticks because uh there is some pretty creative ideas being floating around being floated around out there yeah, we're going to get a mad flood of sports uh, towards the end of July, early August. It's going to be it's going to be something to watch. Maybe not as much with tennis though. We're gonna, let's go through just a few more here because tennis has certainly been making the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Novak Djokovic uh, is, is basically instead of being the stud, he's the dud right now. I know Djokovic was already somewhat of a controversial figure in the tennis world. Um, you know, he's an anti-vaxer. Uh, he's a little. He, you know, he, 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 he's an individual, I'll say that. Uh, and then this is just a very bad look. Uh, I mean, you see the video of, you know, the guys doing the conga line and, you know, dancing with their shirts off and stuff like that and just no regard 
at all or whatsoever for anything. And obviously now, you know, the majority of them, if not all of them, have tested positive for COVID-19. And, you know, the PR that this has had on Djokovic, the little tournament he put together in Croatia and Serbia, and how the numbers in both those countries have spiked since this little tournament. And they were still packing people into the crowds. There were still the the venues that they were playing these tennis games at they were full of people and it just it's just ignorant and it's stupid yeah it was a complete disregard uh the adria tour obviously canceled now the davis cup now canceled you know it's it's bad when nick kurgios is is tweeting at you and and making fun of you say one of his tweets i got here prayers up to all the players that have contracted covid19 don't hate me for anything i've done that has been irresponsible or classified as stupidity this takes the cake and it's not often that i agree with nick kurgios uh he's just you know he's like the sean avery of the of the tennis world but he was just he, you know he's just waiting to get that one out there and he's right um nascar also uh I'm, I'm officially, uh, my, I gave NASCAR a test there because it was back. I'm, I'm done with NASCAR um, for a number of reasons, but no, most notably what has happened with Bubba Wallace. Now, there have also been some great shows of support from him as well. I thought it was very moving what the other racers did, uh, what the president of NASCAR was saying. But the fact that this happened, and I don't, care what anyone says it's about a drop rope or whatever a pull down rope uh that that's some serious bullshit yeah i this is this is hard because like I, I mean they say they did an investigation they say they have proof that that drop down or pull down garage rope was like that for since dating back to september of last year i, I don't know Look, I agree. It's a fucking noose. That is a noose. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of... And Bubba Wallace did an interview. I forget who it was with, but it was on one of the major networks. And he said he's never seen a pull-down rope look like that before. Yeah, and and there's this stats that's come out today as well. 1,648 garage stalls on the 20 tracks in the NASCAR circuit. 1,648. They found 11 of them had ropes that were pulled down with a knot. Of those 11, only one was a noose. So that's a one in 1,648, and it happens to be with the only black driver or person of color driver on the, on the entire tour. I mean, it's, you had that parade as well of all the people with the Confederate flags going by one of the races. Um, it, it's, it's the American South. as deep divides down there. Um, again, I will commend a lot of the fans uh colored and white who have stood up for Bubba Wallace Bubba Wallace you mentioned an interview he did he's done a ton that dude looks tired right now I, he's just like I I, I, he, I don't he doesn't want to be known for this this isn't his legacy I mean he's the middle of the pack driver uh, statistically but that's what he is he's a driver he doesn't want to be known for the noose incident the 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 being the person of color is he's a driver and you can tell he's tired of this. He wants people to learn, and he's he's going to be involved in this for the rest of his life in one capacity or another. But I think right now you can kind of see it in his eyes. He wants to get back to racing. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, you know, 
if he can change the narrative and the stereotype of NASCAR and its fans and kind of be a guy that could hopefully bring a new demographic of fans to the sport and make the sport feel more inclusive to people. I mean, I think that is, you know, that would be a legacy I think most people would be proud of. But I understand what you're saying. It's just like it's not it doesn't. Yeah, he seems to be getting attention in the in the media for all the wrong reasons, you know what I mean? Or for, I mean, okay, he's not getting attention for the wrong reasons, but like the reasons we're talking about it are, you know, deplorable, despicable people, you know, showing their true colors and, you know, showing, you know, that racism is still very much alive, especially in the Southern states, uh, that NASCAR is an old, very much an old boys club for the most part, you know, I mean, the fact I forget who that one idiot driver was who said that he was going to be quitting if the Confederate flag can't be, you know, flown at NASCAR events anymore. It's like, go ahead, buddy. You've never won a fucking race in your life. Like, yeah. don't See, let the yeah. car door. Yeah, don't let the car door hit you on the way out. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And 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 no, I agree with that. And I mean, Bubba Wallace will have a place. It's just right now. I I could you just see it, man. The guy is just. He's talked out and he will be a voice and he will be involved and you know that he's going to be with NASCAR even when he's not driving in in programs or on panels. They're going to he's going to have a place there. But I'm just saying right now the guy is is tired and he wants to race. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was a noose. There's there's no question about it. Well, the one thing and I know we're going a little bit over time here, Pete, but I think it's a discussion worth having. You know, I, I think a lot of people forget about Tiger Woods and the impact he made as an African-American golfer being as good as he was on the game of golf. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Masters, Augusta, was still not an inclusive place. And, you know, when he first started, um, I'm pretty sure their private club didn't allow and again, I could be wrong, but I don't believe in, it, it, there was any or it didn't include any African-Americans in that private club. But I think the narrative changed with Tiger because he was so good. And then it became more about his golf game, his golf game than him being, you know, the this frontiersman to break down some of the racial barriers that golf's put up for all these years. He was so good and he was so good immediately when he came on the scene that you couldn't help but talk about how good he was as a golfer, as opposed to some of the racial divides that were being broken down in golf. Bubba, like you said, he's like, he, you know, he's, he's a good racer, but he's a middle of the pack guy. He's not, you know, the number one racer. He's a guy that, you know, he, he's good. He, probably could finish in the top 10 overall in points. He might win a race or two throughout the course of the year, but he's he's not a Dale Earnhardt. And just going back to Tiger Woods, I do remember, and I mean, it's, it was a long time ago now when Tiger Woods came in, was it maybe 20 years ago? But I thought, I did think, I'm like, wow, there's a there's a black golfer on, on the tour who's good, who's really good. And I was like, that was kind of how you identified Tiger at first. Now anyone who knows sports sees Tiger Woods, they're like, oh, man, Tiger Woods, that guy's a badass. He's one of the all-time greats, right? Like it, it's, it has changed your perception of, of golfers and golf being just a, a white man's sport because you look at Tiger Woods and everyone in sports knows who Tiger Woods is, and he's on that pedestal, right? And you kind of... I guess what I'm trying to say is for me is like the, the I, there was a bit of a almost a novelty about it's like wow like this is different right and now it's just like well this is Tiger Woods it, you know what I mean like it's just he it, it's it, he changed the way that we looked at 
at people of color in not just golf, but in in a lot of professional sports, especially over here in North America. And- yeah, I agree. I, I think, like you said, the narrative at first with Tiger was like, here's an African-American uh, golfer who's, you know, kind of stirring up some of the old traditions of golf. But eventually it was like, yeah, he's stirring up the golf world because he's so goddamn good. And I think that's where the narrative changed a bit. But you're right. When he first came on the scene, you know, there was a lot of old, you know, some old white guys that were upset that Tiger was making, you know, an impact or going to some of these private golf courses. And, you know, that whole storm kind of got, you know, quelled over fairly quickly when people realized how good of a golfer he really was and how he got a new generation of people into golf. Yep. Yeah. And it became uh, really a face of North American sports. A hundred percent. Um, Last last sport I actually had on the list uh, was golf. Uh, I don't have much to say because I don't follow the PGA v- very well, but I do know that more and more players are testing positive. I know Dennis McCarthy today tested positive, um, and that was, uh, I believe, the third one. They have about seven players who have now tested positive uh, over in the PGA. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't follow the PGA that closely either. From what I've heard is that it sounds like a lot of these golf courses – the, the rules that a lot of people thought were in place and the health and safety protocols aren't really being followed, whether that's on the staff of the golf course, the players who are playing on the golf course, or a combination of both. Unless you're going to have almost like an escort to escort every group playing, you know, representing the golf course as a health and safety official to make sure people aren't doing stupid things. Uh, I'm not surprised that you're seeing outbreaks of people... Uh, with COVID-19 in the, the golf world at the moment. And also where, where they're playing golf. Uh, I, I will say yeah. that where it's been fun hearing the, the golfers curse with all the microphones whenever they, they miss a shot though. <laughs> that's uh that's been uh, one of the better things with, with uh, the comeback of sports. Um, we've gone a bit over, but well worthwhile. Uh, let's take it to the free pour. Let's do it. All right, it's time for the free pour open floor segment of the podcast. And I've got to say, I saw something come up the other day and I was so excited. And it was a trailer to the upcoming reboot on Netflix of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Amazing. Uh, I don't know if if you're a 90s kid. And you grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries in the 90s. Uh, It was probably the scariest show on television. Um, (laughs) But you would watch it every week. And the trailer, it looks like there's going to be six new Unsolved Mystery cases. I believe it's premiering July 1st. And I know I will be glued to my television to watch it. One of them apparently is an alien uh, mystery. Hello. I I love Unsolved Mysteries, Doug. uh, They got a lot of episodes on YouTube. And uh, I, I love it. It's one of, it's, it, again, it scared the heck out of you uh, when you're a kid because you're like, oh, that could be me. I'm not going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> um, for me, I, I want to talk about something I'm actually just watching right now again, funnily enough. Um, and that's uh, just the amount of wildlife I've, I've been seeing around downtown Vancouver. And uh, so I live down in the West End. I'm currently watching, and this happens multiple times a day, but uh, a bald eagle 
dive bombing onto the buildings trying to get these uh, baby seagulls that are all hatching. And I got some baby seagulls on the, the building just across from me that I can I keep an eye on. And last year, all three of them got snatched by bald eagles. And uh, the, the amount of eagles coming into town this year, it looks like that's probably going to happen again. But in the last month, I've also seen during the day in Stanley Park, I've seen two coyotes. And there are actually signs up in parts of the park now just saying, uh, beware that it's coyote pup season. But I've seen a couple coyotes in the park. Never seen them in the park in daylight before. Um, raccoons are back. Uh, I saw beavers at um, Vanier Park uh, a couple weeks ago as well. There's a beaver in the pond there, two beavers. Um, it's just kind of interesting to see. There's just been this, uh, I know there's always wildlife in town, but uh, whales as well going into Burrard Inlet. Uh, there was a gray whale, I believe it was, or a humpback that went all the way up to the Second Narrows Bridge pretty cool it's pretty cool where we live that we have all these animals around oh and i almost stepped on a skunk the other day but that's pretty normal for uh, for the west end they just kind of creep up on you um but anyway it's pretty cool pretty cool if uh, you're down here in the west end you know what it means when you hear all those birds chirping and freaking out you know there's a big ass bird flying around um i got a good view of that from here i think uh, i think all that stuff's pretty damn cool the wild adventures of pete <laughs> yeah i'm like uh you're in the West End, Steve Irwin over here. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, folks. We went a little over time, but again, some, some good stuff in there. Well, at least we think it is. I mean, who knows if other people think it is, but uh, there's a tried to kind of get a, a little bit of a pulse with what's going on right around the world of sports right now there's just it, it's it's to say it's unprecedented times is, is is really putting it lightly yeah and i mean to cap it off with the results of the draft lottery today i mean it's just of course it had to be like that of course and i mean for this fan base it's just going to add another level of freaking out now man i mean there's going to be people who are saying we should lose to the wild player we're not going to go in there and try and lose there's going to be canucks fans out there now who are hoping that we lose to get a seven or twelve percent chance or whatever it is at the first overall pick now it's uh it's crazy i mean hey it could happen this is what i wanted i wanted to see a, a team at least move into the top three if i wasn't expecting number one yeah, I wonder how many Montreal Canadian players are going to all of a sudden test positive for COVID. <laughs> I mean, again, that uh, the Habs could get them, the Leafs could get them. Every one of these play-in teams now has a shot as well, and, and that's the side story with this whole play-in series now is once you lose, you're going into the uh, Alexei Fren- Lafreniere sweepstakes. Um, I-, I like it. It's a good, good side story, and uh, it's going to be fun watching folks here in Vancouver debate it. Well, I hope it's fun. Keep it clean out there. We, we all know what the deal is with the Reddit stats right now. Um, I'm at Pete underscore gas. Uh, the podcast is at Canucks Speak. I'm at Doug Venn, and obviously the funky groove you're hearing now is going to be added to the outro Canucks Speakeasy playlist on Spotify. Give that a follow. Check out the ever-growing playlist we're building. Right on, folks. Well, again, thanks for tuning in, and until next time. Thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Thank you.